so much positive feedback just on the one message that I did already because I, I said this. I would argue that the most important piece of furniture in your house is not your bed. I'll try that again. I said the most important piece of furniture in your house is not your bed. It's probably where you spend the most time. It may be the most expensive piece of furniture in your house, but I would argue that it's not your bed, it's not your TV, it's not your 55-inch 4K, Samsung, praise the Lord. The most important piece of furniture is not a fairly heirloom that's been passed down, it is your table. It is your table. Uh, I've said this many times when preaching on parenting. I said the bedroom is for what? Sleeping and changing clothes. You live life out in the living room or you live life out at the table. We've always had our kids do homework. What do they do homework? At the table. Don't go in the bedroom and shut the door. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. We live life out here. This is where I learned to live life. I lived life at a a kitchen table. We had a kitchen table in my house and that's where we learned to, to live life. And so I want to just continue this series as we talk about the importance of the table and restoring the table back to our lives. Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from there in just a moment. Acts chapter 2, I want to review a little bit and even talk about my trip in Brazil. I was in Brazil the last couple of weeks and um, God gave me an incredible example of the table, the importance of the table. Why is it all over the word of God? If you read in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even go into the Old Testament, New Testament, all different places, you see the table, the table, the table. Jesus, in fact, just in the book of Luke alone, 23 times he sat at, taught from, even performed miracles at a table, at a table. Psalms chapter 23 Verse number five, without a doubt, Psalms 23 is the most uh, well-known psalm that there is, the most memorized psalm that there is. And it says this in verse five, you prepare a what? Table before me, even in the presence of mine enemies. You prepare, God prepares a table. When I was in Brazil, we had landed in Brazil and the the very next day they take us to lunch. We're going to give you a Brazilian lunch. I'm like, I'm all on it, y'all. Go for it. Go for it. I'm ready for this. So they bring us to one of the pastor's homes and many houses in Brazil have a grill built into the kitchen. Grilling is just a way of life for them. And I'm like, these are my kind of people. You know what I'm saying? These are I must be Brazilian. There must be something in me that is Brazilian, you know? And when we get there, they're just, they got steaks, like 20, there's only 11 of us. And they had like 20 steaks, chicken and sausage on the grill. They had garlic bread, just bathed in butter and herbs. And on the grill, they're grilling garlic bread. Is there anything more incredibly anointed than grilled (laughs) garlic bread? And they're like, you eat. They're just cutting it up. And they're like, eat, eat. I'm like, yes, okay. You don't have to. I got this. I got this. And so we're just eating and eating. And then they finally tell me, don't eat too much because this, is, this isn't lunch. This is just the appetizer. I'm like, really? Steak for an appetizer? These are my people. This is, this is it right here. So, 
So we're eating and we're eating and we're eating. Then they said, go inside for a little while. And then they, we come out and they got this huge table and it has just got food everywhere. And they said, pastor, you come, you eat, you eat. And God began to show me, this is how grace and faith work together. This is the importance of the table and what it means. And really why Psalms 23 verse five is so incredibly important to us. Because I did nothing to deserve this food. I did not prepare it. I did not pay for it. I did not contribute to it in any way, shape, or form. I'm simply a guest. I am just there. And I have been invited, though, to a table that was prepared for me. Did you hear me now? They prepared it for me. I did nothing to deserve it or earn it. I did not pay for the food. I did not contribute, yet they prepared it for me. And this is what grace has done. Ephesians 2.8 says, we're saved by grace, but how? We're saved by grace through faith. By grace through faith. By grace through faith. And so what I believe is this, grace sets the table. Grace just sets the table. Grace prepares the meal. Grace says it is all there waiting for you. But what we have to do is we have to, by faith, reach out and grab a hold of it. Listen, they said, Pastor, you come, but they didn't spoon feed me. They said, you come. Now, here's a plate. Now, you prepare the plate. You take what we have prepared and you receive it. And this is how grace and faith work together. Listen, God has prepared a table for you. Even in the presence of your enemies, you may be here today and dealing with with doubt or unbelief or fear. There may be a diagnosis. There may be some bills that are piling up. There may be some kids that are wayward and away from God. But even in the presence of your enemies... God is inviting you to sit at a table. Listen, he didn't invite you to some drive-thru. He didn't say just grab a little backpack to go. God says, you come, you take your time, you sit, and you have to say, listen, move over fear, move over doubt, move over unbelief. God has invited me to a table. Somebody say hallelujah. He just says, come sit. Come sit at the table and tell fear to move aside. Tell doubt to move aside. And all of it is prepared for you. But you have the responsibility. Listen, God has provided. We have the responsibility to receive it. We take the plate and we say, God, I thank you. What do we do before most meals? We pray. And what do we pray? God, thank you. Huh? You hadn't eaten yet. Sometimes we do. But you hadn't eaten yet. Huh? You hadn't eaten yet, but you're still thanking God. You haven't received it yet. It's not in your body, but you still thank God. Amen. This is what it means that grace and faith work together. This is why an understanding of the table is so important in every aspect of our life. When we started this series, we started talking about a family table, a family table to restore the family table. I remember after the message, I went up to a couple in the church and I said, how often did you eat together as a family? They said, every night. I said, no, really. They said, every night. I said, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I know this couple very well. They have three daughters. I said, but your girls played sports. I mean, you know, I know what that's like. My kids have played sports. You get home sometimes 930 at night. If it's a travel game at Jupiter, you never know. Fort Lauderdale, you're traveling. They said, no, we, after the game, we sat down at the table as a family. 
Now they're Italian, so that just that's right. That's what you need to know right there. But listen, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, what your background is. You can do this. You can bring back the family table. Kids would, they said kids would, their girls would fall asleep. One of the little ones would fall asleep and you just let them fall asleep. Why? Because it's important to understand this is where we learn our identity, who we are. This is where we get the stories of generations past. This is where we find out what's going on in our lives. We sit down and we eat together as a family at a table. That's why I'm saying that the table is the most important piece of furniture in your house. Listen to some statistics. I didn't read these to you a a couple weeks ago, but I found these again and I thought, man, this is so important. The number one, according to sociologists, psychologists, the number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, kind human beings, frequent family dinners. They just eat together frequently all the time. The number one shaper of vocabulary in younger children, even more than any other event, is the family dinner. The number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age children, family dinners. The best safeguards for child obesity, family dinners. The best prescription to prevent eating disorder among girls, family dinners. The variable most associated with lower incidences of depression and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds, family dinners. Listen, my wife and I, we've just decided this is going to be a part of our life. We decided this years ago. When our kids were were getting older, we said, you know what? Let's eat together. Let's shut off the TV. Come on, guys. Let's shut off the electronics. Let's put the cell phones away. Let's put the laptops away. And let's say we're going to focus on each other. And so we just decided we're going to eat dinner as a family at least four nights a week to sit down to eat dinner. We're going to talk. We're going to ask each other questions. We ask two questions. We say, first, what was the best part of your day? What was the best part of your day? And then we play a game called true or false. And we'll just make stuff up. True or false? Dad's broken bones before. Nope, dad's never broke a bone. All right, now see what you know. You know this about me. Because this is where I learned how to be a Rosenbarger. Come on now. I learned how to be that at a table. Sitting around a table. We had two tables in our house. We had a kitchen table, a little four-foot table in the kitchen. And that's where we lived life. And then we had the dining room table, which we used like once a week. And then we had the living room, which none of us were allowed in. Anybody have one of those? Plastic on the furniture. Come on now. Y'all know what I'm talking about? What are you doing walking in there? You're not allowed in there. It's, it's my house. No, it ain't. Yeah. I know what that's like. But I tell you where I spent the majority of my time is at that table. We'd play outside. Remember playing outside? Remember, remember playing outside? We'd play outside, no cell phone. Nobody knew where I was, what I was doing. We were swimming in canals and lakes that I would never put my toe into today. (laughs) Incidentally, when I was in Brazil, listen, I went swimming in the Amazon with the piranhas and the anacondas. I said, you got to dive in. You got to go in. So I dove right in and they told me that one of the pastors there has a floating church And he accidentally fell in and the piranhas got his foot and his foot is all bandaged up from the piranhas. I said, they told me that after. I said, you should have told me that before I just jumped in the Amazon River. 
But listen, and then, and then when we were growing up, man, how did we know when to come home? When it got dark, we'd just come home. And what did I do the minute I got home is I went and sat down at a table. I went and sat down at a table. Huh? That's just, that's called family life. And if we would restore that back to our homes and our communities and our cities and our nation, listen, we would see this nation turn once again back to the values that it was founded on. Somebody say amen. If we would restore the table, restore the table. So I said last week, I want to talk to you about the table and the importance of family. But I also want to talk to you about community, community. One of the churches I preached in in Brazil had 27 campuses, 27. They planted four churches overseas. They had a celebration one night on a Friday night where they had baptism. And and this was just their connect groups. This was not the whole church. Just the connect groups got together and they had so many people that they did a parade and they shut down a street in the city to have a parade. They had so many people. They were waving flags and celebrating. This was just their connect groups. Hallelujah. I thought that's a goal we ought to do. Shut down Southern Boulevard. We're going to shut down Southern Boulevard. So we got, we got so many people in connect groups. We're going to shut down a road. Hallelujah. That's on my to-do list. Just so you know. But, you know, they had baptism. And this one girl, man, because to be baptized, a disciple would bring a disciple. And this one girl is 10 years old, 10 years old, and she said, I brought my disciple to be baptized. A 10-year-old girl brought another young girl. Said, this is my disciple. She wants to be baptized. And I thought, dear Jesus, you know. And the words I heard over and over were two words in Brazil, disciple and family. Family. I heard that word over and over again. We are a family. We are a family. Acts chapter 2, if you're there, we're going to look towards the end, the end of the, the chapter. If you're new to the church, you don't have your Bibles today, we'll put these scriptures up on the screen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse number 46. This is talking about the early church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Jesus had come. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead. He spent 40 days showing himself to his disciples. Then he ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit descended in the first few verses of Acts chapter 2. And then the church began to form. And when Jesus formed his church, watch this. He did not form them as an army. He did not form them as a group of community organizers. He did not form them around a club. He said, when I form my church, I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to bring them into a house. They're going to share share meals together. And so when Jesus formed his church, he formed them as a family. They met together every day and they ate together every day. Every day. Listen, they ate their food. This isn't just communion. They ate food together every day from house to house. Praise the Lord. From house to house. Sharing a meal with somebody is very intimate. It is very biblical. It is all over the word of God. 
It is one of the most intimate things that we can do is to sit down and just share a meal together. Because you're inviting somebody, whether it's to a restaurant, to have coffee, to do something together. You're inviting them into your world. And when you bring them, whether it's into your home or wherever it is, you bring them into your world, you begin to share. Listen, we begin to tell stories. There's an intimacy. There's a connection that is made. And listen, I want you to know that you didn't just come to a church this morning. You came to a house. Did you hear me now? You came to a house because, listen, Grace Chapel does not exist at 16569 Southern Boulevard. That is just our mailing address. Grace Chapel exists wherever two or more are gathered, whether it's in a home, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Panera Bread, wherever it is at. If two people get together, guess what? Grace Chapel just formed. It is the church that gets together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. That's how God formed the early church. And that's how God forms us still today. We are family. We're family. God brings us together and he wants us to share together at a community table to be family. Family. Join together. And this is so prevalent in the life of the apostle Paul. Now, listen, let me just talk about the Apostle Paul for a minute. Remember, he was first called Saul. He persecuted Christians. He had letters of permission to kill and to persecute, to put in jail anyone who called on the name of Christ. He was publicly, public to the church, he was public enemy number one. He was Hitler, Saddam Hussein, and Osama bin Laden all wrapped up together. Man, they were afraid of this guy. They were afraid of him. He was doing everything he could to wipe out Christianity. But then in Acts chapter 9, he has an incredible experience. He has a divine encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. And Paul's never the same. He sees a bright light. He is blind, the Bible says, for three days. Now watch this. In Acts chapter 9... He's blind for three days. Now, I can't help but think that while he is blind, Christians had to walk him around, right? Isn't that what happened? They did. They had to walk him around for three days. I mean, I can't help but think that maybe they said, Paul, uh, Saul was his name. Saul, watch out for that wall. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to get him back a little bit. That's just my, sometimes I have a twisted way of looking at things. Oh, you stepped in camel dung. Oh, sorry about that. You know what I mean? That's just my, my thinking that maybe they did that to him. We're going to get this guy back. You know what I mean? So he's on the third day, he comes into a room and the Bible says in Acts chapter nine, watch this. The Bible says that there was a man named Ananias and Ananias had a vision from God. And the Bible says that the vision said this, Ananias, you go, you pray for Paul. And when you pray for him, you walk in, you lay your hands on him, and he's going to receive his sight. Ananias at first didn't want to do it. At first he was like, no, I, 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 I don't want to do this. This guy scares me. God says, you do it. He's a chosen vessel for me. So Ananias walks into the room. Now watch this. The first recorded word in the Bible that Paul hears from another mature believer I'm sure there were other words, but this is the first one that's recorded in the book of Acts. The very first word is brother. Saul hears this. This enemy 
of the church, the one who's persecuting and trying to kill everyone in that room, he is welcomed with open arms into what? An army? No, not into a club. You see, he's not welcomed into some sort of organization where we're trying to just be moral and do good. He's welcomed into a family. Brother Saul. And Paul would perpetuate these words over and over again. If you study this book, you find that Paul, in the writings of, of, of Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in, in, to Timothy, to Titus, in Philemon, he's talking about these things. He says the word brothers and sisters. He talks about the family of God. He talks about the household of faith. He talks about being a father to a son, my son Timothy. And so Paul begins to use family terms over and over again. Why? Because he is letting us know you didn't just walk into some place this morning. You came this morning to worship God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family and we need to learn how to gather together, not just inside these four walls, but outside the four walls as a church family to restore the community table. To come together and say, yes, listen, I, 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 you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And we got our struggles and we got our issues. But we're going to come together as a family. We're going to join together. And you need to hear these words over and over. You're my brother, man. You're my sister. I've got brothers in Christ that I call all the time. And I say, listen, you are my brother. You are important to me. You are valuable to me. Because in Psalms chapter 68, verse 6, it says this, that God sets the solitary, those who are lonely, those who are isolated, those who are by themselves. He takes them from where they are. And listen, that was me and that's you. And he brings them into a family. Into a family. One of the... One of the Great shows that is discontinued that I watched in the mornings for many years is a show called Adoption Stories. My wife and I have walked through an adoption, and and before we did, though, I'd watch these shows, and man, I tell you what, they're emotional, they'll get you. And there was this one couple, I will never forget this, I've tried to find clips of it, but I can't find it anywhere. There was this one couple that, that began to tell their adoption story. And he was a bus driver and she was a cafeteria worker. They didn't have a lot of money. They said that. They said, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of love. Come on now. We had a lot of love to give. And they raised two boys. And those boys went off to college and were doing great. But here they are sitting in an empty house going, you know what? We're still young and we got, we got love to give. So they were watching the news one night and there was a highlight feature on the news of a kid who needed to be adopted. And they looked at him and the father, this guy looks at his wife and says, that's our son. That's our son right there. That's our son. And so they went down to the agency and said, we saw this boy on the news. We want to adopt him. And they said, we're sorry. He's already been adopted. And they're like heartbroken. And so they go back home. Days go by and suddenly they get a call from the agency. And the agency said, you know what? The family that adopted him had some struggles and some issues. They actually brought him back. 
And they found out that this kid had been in and out of foster homes, in and out of care, just wanted a forever home. And so this family said, we'll go get him. We'll take him right now. And the incredible part isn't the parents. Uh, that's incredible. But what really got me, and man, I still to this day just gets me, is I, I think about this little boy sitting on a couch in between these two grown men, these two 20-something-year-olds. They came back from college, and one was on one side of this little boy, and the other one was on the other. And they said, hey, you're, a little, you're our little brother now. You're our little brother, man. We're going to teach you how to play basketball, man. We're going to teach you how to play football. Man, we're going to go out in the yard with you. We're going to show you what it means to be a man. And they were just joking with him. And to watch this little 12-year-old, the smile on his face, God wants that for all of us. God wants us to understand, man, that's us. Disconnected, away away from God, isolated by ourselves. And listen, even if we come here, but we're disconnected, that is us. And God wants to bring us into a family and say, listen, you belong. You need to learn how to be a brother, how to be a sister. You need to learn how to be a part of the family of God. And it's not just coming and lifting your hands every now and then. That's great. That's important. It's not just paying a tithe. It's not just coming and volunteering. It is saying, this is my church. This is my home. This is my family. This is where I'm going to put down some roots. This is where I'm called. I am called to be a part of this family. Amen. The family of God. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. Amen. Listen, my wife, before she's my wife, she's a sister. And listen, when we get to heaven, she's not going to be my wife. I got news for you. Y'all need to check your theology. Go look at the word of God. The Bible says we're not married in heaven. I know I just bursted some bubbles. Some people go, what? I've been telling my wife that for years. No, we're not married in heaven. Huh? We're not married in heaven. We're brothers and sisters when we get up there. Amen. There's too many divorces, too complicated, okay? We are brothers and sisters when we get there. And guess what? We're brothers and sisters on this earth. That's why I got to be careful how I treat her. That's God's daughter. Come on now. God will thump me. He's done it many times. Praise the Lord. So we need to learn how to relate to each other. We did this years ago. Not years ago. We we did this... um, you know, a while back, my wife and I, we started opening up our homes, which for us didn't come natural. That's not, that's not us. You know, we, we didn't normally have people over. I mean, you know, ever have one of those nights where you have nothing to do and you're like, praise the Lord, I got nothing to do. I cherish those nights. But you know what? That's not life. I, I like my time off. I mean, when I get home today, my goal at 2 o'clock is to be totally horizontal, staring at the back of my eyelids. Praise the Lord. That's my goal. I'm tired. I've been gone too long. I can't wait to just go home, water some grass. and do, I just want to do that, you know. But, but what we do is twice a month now, we have several couples in the church we bring into our home, young couples, and we just talk to them about marriage. We just go, let's, let's eat together. Let's just have some meals. So we started this, planning it, and we started just like, just bring a meal, and we had like the craziest meal, and like, okay, now let's organize the meal, so let's have a theme, so we got like themes now, and we bring them into our home, and from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, because I go to bed early too now, so I get, uh, goodbye, 
You got to go now. Praise the Lord. Had a good time. There's the door. I'm trying to, you know what I mean? But we just eat a meal together and we laugh. We just have a great time. And then we go to the couch. We open up the word of God. We watch a video on marriage. We just talk about marriage. And we're just doing that twice a month. And let me tell you, it doesn't come natural to us. Some people are more hospitable than others. That's, that's not us. We like being alone a lot. But you know what? God has called us to community. He's called us to community. And if you look at the word of God, you see it over and over again. Acts chapter 2. You see it with Paul's writings talking about the family of God. And listen, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, watch this. It's talking about sowing and reaping. Not being deceived, don't be mocked. And then it says this, if you have the opportunity to do good, do it. Watch this, what it says. Especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Absolutely, we should reach out. Absolutely, there's lost out there that are priority. But God says this, your church family, their priority too. Come on now. Those who are of the household of faith, you have a responsibility to minister to them. Amen? Invite somebody. Let me ask you this. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come. Invite somebody. When is the last time you took a moment to invite somebody out to coffee, to lunch, to just spend some time together? You know, about a year ago, I invited a young man up for coffee. He was having some marriage issues. I said, let's go get a cup of coffee. And as I sat down across from Dunkin' Donuts, praise the Lord, because Starbucks is, oh God, you know what I'm saying? It's the worst. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. We're across, we're at Dunkin' Donuts. And we're sitting there drinking coffee. And I said to this young man, I said, listen, this is what I want you to do. 10 years from now, I want you to call me up and I want you to take me out for a very expensive dinner, okay? Because you're going to owe me. Because I know this. I used to be you. I was you. I was, I was doing the exact same thing you're doing. I was selfish. I didn't know how to be a husband. I, I, I didn't treat my wife well. And he began to tell me all that's going on in his life. I'm like, I was you, man. And as we sat across from each other at a table. We're just at a table. I begin to tell him, listen, here's how you turn this thing around. Here's how you turn it around. And let me tell you, I did it. So don't tell me it can't be done because I was the worst. And God in his grace and mercy brought somebody into my life. And now God in his grace and mercy is bringing me into your life. And we just sat down at a table And I began to share with him. Listen, when is the last time? Let me ask you, church. When is the last time you invited somebody to share a community table with you? To just say, hey, let's talk. Let's get together. Let's just fellowship, huh? We had several people in our home a while back, my wife and I. We connected these these families in our home, and, and we just, we actually played Pictionary. I mean, it was very spiritual. You know what I mean? I thought, every time you play Pictionary, you're going to laugh. You can't help but laugh with Pictionary, you know, because I'm the worst at drawer ever. I'm the worst. We just laughed and we just ate. We just had a good time. We didn't open up our Bibles. 
right? We didn't, we didn't talk about eschatology, theology, doctrine. But let me tell you, something very spiritual happened that day. It did because we connected people. I'm gonna ask you to do this this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? The table, the table, the table, the table. There's the family table. That's the table in your house table in your house. And I want to encourage every mom and dad, would you make the commitment? I'm going to tell you, especially if you're a young parent here today. Oh man, I'm so glad that you're here listening to this message. Make a commitment to sit together and eat dinner as a family. It is so vital, so important. Put the electronics away. Put it away. But then there's another table. And it's the table where you invite a brother and a sister to. You invite somebody from the family of God. We're going to talk about the mission table. We're going to talk about reaching out to the lost. But today, I want to talk to you about inviting the family of God to your table. Now, you might be here and you say, well, nobody's ever invited me. You invite them. You don't need to wait for somebody to invite you. You invite them. Say, let's grab some coffee. Let's go out for a bite to eat. Why don't you come to my house? Why don't we get together? You say, what if they say no? Invite them another time. Keep inviting them. Do what you can. Get together. We've got connect groups that all they do is eat. (laughs) All they do is sit down at a table. Man, those are the best ones. Praise the Lord. We're a family. We're connected. We're a body of believers. We're a community. We are brothers and sisters in Christ.